Welcome to Beer and a Movie, the podcast where we combine two of the greatest art forms known to humanity, beer and movies, sometimes achieving outstanding pairings and other times giving ourselves the opportunity to wash the terrible taste of failure from our mouths. My name is Joe Hilliard, and I am joined weekly with one of my favorite bros. Dave Gurney, and uh, we're joined by somebody else this week. One of my favorite bros, and <laughs> I'm going to tell you a little bit about our guest. He is the executive chef at one of the premier restaurants in town. He is a previous guest, episode 74, and again, you've got to go back and listen to this episode. It is our infamous seven beer episode, David. Whew. <laughs> there was a lot of fun that night including the opening of the worst beer we've ever had on the show. Yeah, like some of the heights of beer that we've achieved mm -hmm. and the absolute lowest point of beer we've achieved on this podcast with this uh, guest in the room. He brought uh, the concoctions that we'll be enjoying tonight, and I know that that could mean, David, that we're in a world of trouble. It is our good friend, Harold Ramos. Hello. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks for, for coming. Me. Yeah. No, thanks for back. Appreciate Welcome it. back. Yeah. Welcome back. Thank now, why, David, would we ask the executive chef of one of our city's premier restaurants to join us today? Well, it's, I think it's a film pairing uh, guest, guest in film pairing. It's perfection. Uh, unlike we've ever had in the past, maybe, maybe with a few exceptions, but uh, th this is one of the best. Uh, I think our psychologist friend, Anthony Zoccolillo, helping us tear down American Psycho was really good just a week or good. so yeah, ago. Absolutely, absolutely. But today we've got to tear apart a few films here, and having a chef in the room is only going to help us. Absolutely. An area expert mm -hmm. uh, was was a great move here, I think. We'll, we'll find out how good. Yeah, Harold, I asked you, uh, you brought the beer. Do you mind telling us what you'll be opening sure. here at the beginning? Sure. Um, so I brought along a Jester King. Oh, Of course, we all know Jester King. Yep. It's a famous brewery here in the Hill Country of Texas, Dripping Springs. Uh, I brought here, it's a collaboration with a brewery out of Soy, Belgium, called Phantom. Oh. Uh, so it's a Phantom Del Rey. This is a 2016 Batch 1. Oh. Uh, this is a Saison brew with Hill Country Well Water, uh, Belgian candy sugar, and truffle honey. <whistles> so I figured, why not pair truffles with, you know, delectable cuisine, correct. Delectable. Yeah. And uh, let's open this guy up. Take well, a sniff. and I think even before you get these other ingredients involved with the Jester King beer, there's always a complexity there, mm -hmm. um, just with their house culture, right? I mean, so it's exciting. And and we've had some of these aged bottles in the past from them, and they do change over time. Harold, you were saying that you had a taste of this when it was young and fresh. I had it fresh, and it was kind of forgettable. Yeah. I had it again, and it was better, and I see now we'll see if it's actually improved. That's exciting. The, the thing about this beer that's impressive, too, to me is... is Pairing with the film as well is Danny Prignon from uh, Phantom is kind of known as like a chef. He is a kind of a rogue brewer, uh, uses strange ingredients, combines them that don't usually go together very often. And uh, so there should be a nice little pairing. Sure. You heard the, fo the Foley. That was a bottle cap on top of a cork. Correct. Yeah, that's kind of traditional how they make their hello. He'll cap the beers like that a lot for Lambics and for these saisons that Danny does. He always has a cork and a, and a cap. Mm. Very nice. Well, I'm excited to taste this. Um, yeah. I'm excited to talk with Harold um, and, and, and Joe about mm. the films this week. Uh, the, the first of which is our new release. Yeah. Um, you know, j just landed in theaters a few days back, uh, if you're oh. listening to the podcast. Soon after its release, um, it should still be out there and ready for you to see it. It is called The Menu, yeah. a 2022 release starring Ray Fiennes. Um, oh, geez. 
Nicholas Holt. Uh, we have Anya Taylor-Joy, a favorite mm-hmm. of the podcast there. So John Leguizamo. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Judith Light. A, a star-studded cast. Yeah. Um, it, a lot of great veterans in there. Um, so an exciting cast. Uh, the trailer's been out for a while. I have a feeling that uh, longtime listeners have probably seen it. But nonetheless, uh, I'll just give us a little peek here. What we have uh, as the film begins is a group of people assembling on a pier, waiting to be picked up by boat, to be brought to an island, uh, to dine at a very exclusive restaurant that only accepts, what, 12 reservations? 12 a night. 12 a night. Um, twelve fifty a pop, right? Yeah. So, so this is no uh, small trifling meal they're going to have. This it is... reminded me immediately of of last week's uh, triangle of sadness. The, yeah, this exploration into the behavior of those that can afford such an item. The ultra wealthy, yeah, the seemingly. elite, absolutely, and that that certainly factors into this here. I mean, I think ultimately the film uh, about these diners going to this destination restaurant. Um, they're there to experience this meal from. This renowned chef, uh, played by Ray Fiennes, that's Julian Slowick. Uh, he's going to bring it out course by course, offering a little tale with each course, essentially, mm-hmm. uh, g- giving them uh, the proper framing for it. Yeah. And as is pointed out by um, the, the most sort of fervent fan in, in the audience, uh, Tyler, played by Nicholas Holt, uh, he, the story of the meal is going to unfold as the night goes on. Right. There'll be like a, a total summation uh, of, of ideas it's going to come to be. So it's it's watching course by course as this meal unfolds and as certain elements of the behind the scenes of the meal start to become more and more obvious to the diners and and danger and peril awaits them in uh, in many ways. I was excited to see this movie because one of my favorite sub-sub-sub-genres of film is the food movie. One sure. where... Shots of beautiful shots of food being prepared. Big night leaps to mind. Uh, I could go on and on. In fact, some of the titles that we talked about maybe pairing it with. Yeah. Um, and seeing kind of I, you know, my my fiance and I watch all those Netflix shows that are yeah. you know creating Chef's all of table. these masterpieces right. and 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 competitions where they try so hard with presentation and ingredients and gastronomy and. I was really looking forward to to the movie. I had high expectations, actually. Yeah, likewise here, especially with like talking to other friends of mine who are chefs and seeing their post social media, and they're all pretty excited about this film. Mm-hmm. A lot of them feel that it captures a lot of what's happening in, in the restaurant industry now, and the feelings we have as, as chefs and cooks, and how we kind of live our lives day to day working in this business. And I think it, it kind of captures that a lot. Yeah. And it shows you the good and the bad. Yeah. But um. I think uh, I was reading about the food as well. The food was was created by uh, Dominique Crenn. She's a uh, Michelin star chef in San Francisco. A uh, place is called Atelier Crenn. She's actually the only female chef in the U.S. with three stars. Oh wow, it's pretty remarkable. She's actually on season two of uh, Chef's Table. Yeah, Chef's okay. Table is one that I was yeah, thinking so, of when I said yeah, I go these back and watch her episode. She kind of designed the food for the show, for the movie. Um, a lot of the food too reminds me of uh, as a chef. Uh, his name is Magnus. He's over in a place called Favagin. So a lot of the food looks like his too. Like the idea of like the, the scallop on the on the shell and like the rocks and all that's kind of his style. Uh-huh. And, the, and also the dairy cow I mentioned dairy cows only on the land. 
it's also very much a Magnus kind of thing. So what, kinda, now, what is that move? We're probably going to be doing this throughout the the review where we yeah. stop and ask you, like, what, what would the because they you're right it, they make a point of saying as they're touring the island yeah. before the meal that only dairy cows. Yeah. So island. you think about most beef we consume in America is slaughtered at six eight months. They're very young. Okay. So the meat stays tender, right? It's not been stressed a lot. When a cow goes to pasture, dairy cows are kept much longer because they're constantly feeding the new population, producing milk. Yeah. Those cows lead a very stressless life, but they live a longer life. Okay. So when they're harvested for their meat, it's different. Yeah. Like you'll see the uh, the fat is like yellow huh. and the, the cuts of meat are also a lot larger. Okay. And more complex in flavor. So Interesting. Uh, most people don't eat that, but in Europe, quite a bit. Okay. So it's pretty popular over there. Very interesting. So, I mean, this is a fascinating premise, right? And I think, Joe, you drawing the parallel with Triangle of Sadness is a good one because ultimately this film, I think, I mean, there's elements of horror in there for sure, but I think what it is at the highest level is a dark satire, right? I mean, I think this is another, like Triangle of Sadness, look at the ultra-wealthy, what, not not exclusively, but that's a big part of it. Um, but also how they sort of, in their tastes and in their interests and in their proclivities, shape art, right? I mean, certainly cuisine is is the art form that we're looking at in this film. Mm-hmm. But I think it would apply to you know visual art, filmmaking. Yeah. It, it would apply to just about any kind of creative endeavor that you have, because ultimately, Slowick, right? This meal that he's preparing for them, the menu that he's put. Put together for this is is his uh i mean it's his treatise on the state of what it is to be a creator yeah. in the world today yeah. given that you are often seeking those ultra wealthy elite patrons if you want to perform at this level right if you want to be able to work with those kind of rarefied ingredients and in this case it seems like hawthorne is actually a great tie into jester king very much about the terroir right yeah. They're going, you know, Jester King, they like to source as much as they possibly can right out of Texas and even grow it on their own grounds if they can. Hawthorne, the restaurant and the menu, is doing the same thing, right? They're on an island yep. and they're trying as much as possible. Do they say that they exclusively source? I don't know. but No, because at the very end he says our, our gift book has a list of our purveyors. So there you he go. He has some yeah, stuff, but yeah, most yeah. of it, yeah, from the island, it looks like they're getting the, yeah. the greens and the So to, to do that, you have to court the ultra wealthy, right? There's no way to be able to fund that in a sustainable way. Well, or is there? I don't know. No, there is. It's like the, I forgot the name of the, uh, his, uh, the owner, investor. the angel investor that, you know, right, he dispatches right. later on in the movie. That's a very common uh, <laughs> agreement you see in these kind of restaurants because, you know, chefs don't exactly have, you know, huge stacks of money to open these kind of restaurants. Right, right. So a lot of times it's an investor or somebody who's involved that puts the money up and believes in somebody. So a good example would be El Bouilly was a restaurant that was very famous in, uh, in Spain. And they're the ones who kind of kicked off his whole uh, modern cuisine, um, molecular gastronomy. All, everything you see in that movie comes from El Bouilly. That's where it starts. Wow. Even the, kids, the kitchen looks like El Bouilly's kitchen. They're very similar to the same idea. Natural materials, the brigade system they have there. And uh, Julius Soler was the guy behind El Bouilly. And... Uh, they eventually left, broke off themselves. The two yeah. brothers eventually, but that's how it goes. The One three night. of us know a local chef that had exactly that arrangement where a ultra wealthy person mm-hmm. 
was a fan of the food and said, I want this food up in where I live up north of us. Sure. So all you have to do is staff and run the kitchen. Mm -hmm. As long as what I'm getting here, I can get up there. You don't have to worry about the finances of it. Of course, included in that would be your salary. Yeah. And, you know, and but when, you know, we know these chefs, we see them on these shows. They're they're They reach a level status. Bobby Flay. Yeah. Guy Fieri, you know. Uh, but they reach this level of status Celebrity where, where, yeah, yeah. where they're making big, yeah, big, big money. money. Yeah. But what Ray Fine's character, I think here, the most interesting thing is just the level of uh, authority that he has yeah. over the dining room and the diners from the very beginning. And there's absolutely no reason. There's no way to talk about this movie without getting deep into spoilers. So I say that we go. go yeah. <clears throat> um, everyone there has been invited for that evening, because it's a very special evening. It's going to be the evening where all of the staff has a suicide pact, basically, yeah. and every diner is going to die. The wrinkle here is that Anya Taylor-Joy was a last-minute substitution by the Nicholas Holt character because, he, I guess it was his fiance or girlfriend, broke up with yeah. him. And uh, as the first couple of courses certainly show, Ray Fine, it was a, there's a course where there's tortillas, and the tortillas have got uh, laser printed or laser sculpted uh, items, pictures, images, yeah. images for each specific person. So for the three bros that are from the Angel Capital uh, firm, it's uh, evidence of, of financial misdoing. Yeah. For the uh, elderly, not elderly, but older couple, uh, it's pictures of him consorting with what we probably is gonna, I think is going to be a prostitute. Yeah. Um, but Anya Taylor-Joy gets the attention of not only the the chef, but his, what would you call her, the maitre d'? The... She was the maitre d', yeah. That's yeah. what i call her. Uh, sure. Because, wait a second, here's a wrinkle here, and we have a plan. And uh, it turns out that he just hired this prostitute, uh, the, the guest that whose girlfriend broke up with him, to fill the spot, because no singles are allowed. You have to yeah. come as a pair. And... Um, that's, I guess, the essential... Well, no, I was going to say that's the essential conflict in the movie. It becomes between the chef and Anya Taylor-Joy's yeah. uh, character who has no reason to be there and no... And she's not the target of his, of his ill. Of right. His, of being a mad. Everyone he, there is a target. She's not part of that. Right. She's an outsider. Mm-hmm. Right. She's Like not. he says, he says, you're one of us, you know, basically. Right. She's a service worker. He, yeah. he sees her as being yeah. in league with them, though, you know... Obviously, and and we come to find out her line of services. She is an escort, right. and service industry, yeah. right? And she had been with the uh, older businessman, Lebrance, yeah. right? Um, so you know, so there's that tie in there, but um, yeah, you you do have this sort of recognition that she doesn't belong, and yet maybe she does belong, but just on the other side of the equation. Yeah. Um, though that doesn't keep her safe, right? Because no. this is a this meal is about death. The the, the menu is that we all die. And, and, you know, again, the chef here, I think making a statement about why this is, why he feels like this is the only proper way to end his career and, you know, everybody's um, make this statement. But yes, she throws this kind of stick into the spokes essentially by not being one of the planned invitees, right? Mm -hmm. That, That she isn't maybe as deserving of this final statement um, as as he would like her to be, and also showing a moxie and a spunk that I yeah. think he 
connects with as being attractive. You know. Yeah. Yeah, though, there, though I don't get any sense that there's like a romantic no, no, no. interest. But I, I hear what you're saying. More like, like she kind of challenges him a little bit because she's not eating his food. Yeah, right. And, and so he's, he's surrounded like, by people know, that don't challenge him. For him, him, he's like, you eat my food. You basically, you, I'm going to give you my best menu. You're going to love it. And she was just like, no. Yeah. So he right. was like, wait a minute. This so isn't my like, kind this of thing. This isn't my kind of thing. I'm kind of, I'm going to pinpoint you and make sure you enjoy this meal. And she kind of was like, not going to have it. So now, yeah. I'm never spending. Never. $1,250 a person. You got to take a couple, so now we're up to $2,500 mm-hmm. on a meal. But man, I've spent money on meals. Sure. I've yeah. bought expensive meals mm-hmm. because yeah. the everything about, besides the killing me at the end part, yeah. <laughs> is exactly, I love to eat that way. Yeah. I love to see a chef push the limits. I love to see what can be done in a way that I never could have thought for it to be done. Although when I cook, I cook more like um, Nicholas Holt's character when he's (laughs) (laughs) given the opportunity to cook. Because that That level of pressure though, I I, like as much as I did find his character um, abhorrent. Yeah. yeah, Abhorrent in certain ways. Like I felt for him in that, in that sequence. Like, well, he says, you come cook for me now. Come show us your majesty. Come show and, and, us all your skills. And, and that scene is is very real because, you know, I've worked in high-end kitchens before in New York City. And there are times when the chef will single somebody out and make an example of them just like that. And everyone's watching you. You're talking you, about kitchen staff, Kitchen. kitchen. Not, not a diner from the, No, no, no. Yeah. no. But, but still, like, basically, you get belittled and yeah. you get, you know. You think you know you're how You're wearing a dunce hat the rest of the day. Yeah. It, it kind of sucks, you know. Yeah. So, um, But, you know, also for me... My problem with the movie right now for me was the price of that meal for what you got. You know, you, I, I as don't you analyze it, the courses. Yes, yeah, because the biggest problem for me is the damn tortilla. That tortilla was garbage. <laughs> <laughs> that was, like, I, I mean, it should have been like an heirloom, you know, blue uh, corn tortilla. Yeah. We got this HEB tortilla you put in a, you, in, you in a, in a waffle well, press, though. you know? It's like, <laughs> what the hell is this? I was kind of, it was kind of, kind of a bummer. That is funny. But, uh, but not a lot of food, though. You know, these, these kind of restaurants, these kind of experiences you're talking about, these yeah. like places like El Bulli and Love Madison Park, it's like a 25, 24-course meal, and yeah, you're spending yeah. 600, 800 bucks a person. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, it was kind of skewed in that way a little bit. It wasn't yeah. right, but still, the food was beautiful. Yeah. I thought what I saw was gorgeous. I love the scallop dish. was great. What did you think? As a, I mean, the food... Okay, so the, this is one of the core tensions. That I, I, help me work through this, guys, right? Because, like Joe, I'm... And Harold, I think, uh, you know, I'm I'm obsessed with food. I yeah. love food. Yeah. I love eating. I love trying new new preparations. I, I, I got to new... taste two David Gurney dishes last night. Uh, I'm going to talk about that on After Hours. <laughs> awesome. Thanks. Um, it you know, and I've had Harold's food before, and yeah. really enjoyed it. Uh, and and I've even had uh, food of his that he uses fancy machine sous vides. Uh, yep. You know, they, yep. that he does some of this in this film, the Paco Jets. Seems oh to yeah, be the, the running gag. I'll, I'll tell you about Paco Jets. <laughs> I know <laughs> um, all about but, him. But what I'm saying is, like, this is something that I and and I think there's as as abhorrent as he is, there's little pieces of the the Tyler character there that I recognize myself. You know what sure. I mean? Like yeah. I, I want to know what ingredients are. I want to be able to pick out flavors when I'm tasting. I mean, God, what do we do on this podcast? We drink beer and we talk yeah. about little flavor, pro, you know, elements of the flavor that we're picking up. Um, the coriander in this beer, by the way. I can't, <laughs> I can't wait to talk about it. But, but there, you know, 
it seems like there, there is part of me that was totally loving the, the cinematography, the, mm -hmm. the shots of the food, no the way it was being played, the tweezers placing every little piece on the plate. You know, it, plating is such a big deal in this kind of high-end dining. Yeah. Um, and I think it is, right? We eat with our eyes. Everybody said, you know, and it, I think it's true. Like when you see something presented a certain way. And yet here part of, I feel like part of the point the film is trying to make is like we go too far down that path and what are we doing with ourselves? Like we're taking this thing that is this kind of basic and, and, and you know, really human thing that we do. We eat. We, this is how we live. We, we need to do this. This is sustenance. And we share it with each other. And we have these connections over that. And it sort of takes it 20 steps away from that and puts it into this context that takes all the love out of it, all the soul out of it. Right? I mean, I think that's where the, the film ultimately I goes. I think that's where he ends up in the end because he, he lost his connection with food. Right. So how do you maintain? I mean, that's, you know, it's a quandary, right? Like, I'm enjoying seeing these dishes and there's something about it like, oh, I really like to taste that. And then there's that part of the film that's constantly reminding me yeah but what, at what cost dave <laughs> what are what are you seeing created here this is ruining a man's so so life. i think the the mess kind of explains very clearly what this can lead to and what, what was the mess Remind, the, the mess is when the sous chef basically presents his course to the guest and uh chef slowick basically introduces him as a failure as lesser than him. This is the he's top. So this is the top limit. He's good. Of, you know, he's very good. But he's never going to be great. He'll never be great. To be great. So then he shoots himself in the head, and uh, it's shocking. Which, which, yeah. is, which been, is really, even though there had been foreshadowing yeah, to that point, there was that was the moment where the switch gets yeah. you know turned, and it's like, oh wow. Well, they still were like, oh, it was a squid. It doesn't look real. I don't know. I'm not sure. <laughs> this is um, what he does, y'all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's very dramatic. But uh, you know that that scene in, in general, I think is talking a lot about the mental health in the industry yeah. I mean, in the food industry and there's a famous famous chef that did that um in 2003 his name was bernard loiseau and he was a chef in france and he um the the gomio is a um a guy that rates restaurants like the michelin guide uh -huh. and he had a 19 for many many years and he lost two points he got 17 out of 20. and then he feared he would lose his michelin star after that so in this kind this of the beginning of the despair, end. he shot himself in the head and killed himself. Wow. You know, and it was a shocking well, thing because he was like a star. You know, the, the, one of the one of the more elaborate restaurant experiences that I've had in my life uh, was Aaron and I for our anniversary one year when we were living in Chicago, went to this restaurant, Moto. Oh, yeah. He, he, Kentu, he killed himself. He too. hung himself just in, a in his years, restaurant. Yeah, a couple years after we yeah. were there. And he had he had moved yeah. into he had a program mm -hmm. on some cable network. Yeah. He was he, I mean he was a celebrity. He, he was up and coming, especially like playing playing with food, big into food, molecular food, gastronomy, molecular gastronomy yeah. printed menus you could eat stuff like yes. that. Yes, yeah. And yeah, yeah he, he hung himself in his new restaurant. And and you can kind of I mean I can see the level of pressure that you are putting on yourself to be performing on that level where you're constantly inventing and yeah. you know. It, what you did two years ago, forget about it. You need to make sure that you're doing something now. And that's, I mean, it's got to be unbelievable pressure that's on some of these chefs. Well, I'll move us into a little more, maybe some negative. I appreciated the cinematography, all the food shots, the yeah. performances. I can't argue with any of them. My biggest problem with the movie, and it really is a large flaw, <clears throat> is that while... 
some of, but not all, of the diners who have been uh, chosen to represent larger portions of the culture of the restaurant. For example, the older couple, the man who had been having a tryst with a, uh, a, a, a prostitute, prostitute. Or, yeah, maybe more. Um, his sin is, I don't think that the, the picture of his, one of his trysts being on a tortilla was the reason why he was being punished that night. No, it was, you've attended Hawthorne here, $1,250 a night with your wife six, seven times. 12. Tell me one (laughs) dish that you've eaten and he couldn't. And that became, I guess, a, a, an example of the. Diner who's not there to appreciate the food, but rather to use it as a status symbol. The three bros that are there uh, that work for the investment firm or the capital firm of of the angel uh, investor that funded the entire island and restaurant are there because they work for him? Because I don't think the chef cares that they're we're stealing money or whatever it was that they were doing. You're you're talking about... The, the clientele that was there. Yeah. That is what you see in these kind of restaurants. Mm-hmm. These people do exist. They are real. Yeah. You know, these finance bros. Sure. You, I worked at a place called Crew in New York City, and we were full of bros every night. Yeah. Just who had the biggest check. Yeah. They all had their expensive well, accounts. Everything out of American Psycho. Well, I was going to yeah, say, when exactly we did American Psycho like last that. night, it was all about Dorsia, all that is yeah. real, and that's exactly what he's, what he's trying to point out. Those are his thorns in his side. These ungrateful patrons that come in are just collecting him like yeah. a like a trophy. But John Leguizamo, kind of a uh, an actor. actor who is on the backside of his career, his <laughs> I had one day off. I watched your movie and <laughs> hey, it sucked. Hey, when you work like you know twenty seven days straight, without a day off. <laughs> I love off, Harold's like metting out you the know, life or death the if, way if, that if it's your one day off, you watch a shitty movie, you might be kind of have some hangups well, about that. And I mean, you know? I, but I what mean, did the assistant do? I guess assisted him in making yeah, the probably. Horrible and movie. she was stealing money from what him. Did, but that, how did he know? Yeah. That? What yeah. did the wife of the businessman do? Well, except, she, except that she was alongside him. She for also couldn't name a dish. In fact, yeah. she tried to. They're, they're both the kind of. Uh, they just collect restaurants. Yeah, and, and he to, sees that as like disgusting. I yeah. mean, I don't think if you're trying to justify him killing these people on like a yeah. human level, I think you, why are you doing that? That's where you got to let go and say that this is satire. This is yeah. this is making a statement on society and this, like I said earlier, this practice around like art and patronage and what it is to create and what kind of. Uh, you know pressures you put on yourself but also the kinds of limitations and, and expectations that that get put upon you by those who are funding wh- but, what it is that you're doing but i guess to me i don't feel his pain and i don't feel that therefore he has the right to met pain upon others mm-hmm. um i i got so many aspects of the satire i laughed at a lot of the black comedy yeah um i would say if you're a foodie the word's kind of overused but as at along with Malcolm, then <laughs> you're, you should go yeah. see this movie. You yeah. know, if you enjoy great performances, you should go see this yeah. movie. So there's two positive, right. positive well, tick that, marks there. But the movie at the end of the day did not satisfy me the way I would expect a $1,250 meal too. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's interesting. Uh, yeah, I... I, you know, it's funny. Your take is very similar to my 12-year-old's take on this film. Well, I've, uh, that I've you, been called uh, <laughs> intellectually no, but equivalent. She's, she's getting into the movies that I watch, and I'm, I'm tiptoeing into that. We went to see uh, Triangle of Sadness together, and now we went to see this together. Good. And 
we were talking about it after, and she was very upset for the same reasons. Like, I don't understand. Why do those people deserve to die? What, you know? I'm like, nobody deserves to die here. This is a statement. This is showing us where, where this life has led this creator. What his ultimate, like he is so desperate at this point in his existence that this is the only answer. It's not the right answer. I'm not, I don't think the film is trying yeah. to convince us that it is. I think it's just showing us, look, given what we do and how we've been able to do it, there are some amazing things that we achieve through that, right? Like these private islands that have these amazingly um, you know, curated selections of foods and ingredients and all this kind of experiential stuff that you can really, I mean, can be lovely, but there's a cost to it. There's a price to it. And some of that is obvious. Some of that is the 1250 that you're writing that, you know, the check for at the end or, you know, giving them your credit card to run. But some of it is the life that these people lead, yeah. right? I mean, before sure. we even hear him give his um, speech or speeches during the dinner, we see the Mater D showing them around the island, showing them the living quarters mm -hmm. that these people are in, which I know is extreme. I know yeah. like there, there aren't too many restaurants probably. That <laughs> no, there is, it's not. It's actually less nice than that. Yeah, pretty bad. Actually. But, you know, like saying that they basically they'll end service mm -hmm. and, and be able to finally go to bed at two. And then they're up at six in the morning preparing for the next meal to come the day after. I mean, these are people who are going to this extreme I mean, really kind of exaggerated version of what high cuisine is and and what kind of end that would result in. I, I get where you're coming from, Joe. I don't wanna I don't wanna discredit your point or Adela's, but what but where I come out of it was, especially once I think the mess happened. Yeah. And I and it was clear to me, okay, no, this is more a statement on where things are and the pressures that these people are under. In like, the industry itself. Yeah. I don't think a sous chef is actually shooting himself in the head for this, but actually the couple stories we just talked about, mm -hmm. people do get desperate yeah. enough to do things. Sure. Maybe not in front of a dining room, maybe not as part of the dish, but it happens. Yeah. But you look at it too, and it, it was a very cultish kind of thing as well. Yes. He's the cult leader. Yeah. They're the cult followers. And of course the patrons were just kind of, Collateral damage, I guess, mm -hmm. or the, the the impetus for the whole thing. Right. Well, well they, they're and, the but, audience. But they're, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and especially um, I keep forgetting the character's name, so I'm just calling which one. Uh, the Holt. Uh, Tyler. 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 Um, Tyler uh, John Leguizamo. I know this guy, but I didn't. I lie because I'm a fucking scumbag. You know, yes. I I it makes <laughs> name dropper. Yeah. yeah, I'm a name dropper. Um, which I I read just today. He modeled himself Steven after Steven Seagal. Seagal. Yeah, I read that too. I read <laughs> Who that. I think in the funny. same interview he called a horrible human. Yes. Yeah. Because they were in. Ex I think he was in executive decision. Right. But yeah. <laughs> um, but they're all slobbering over the yeah. chef the same way that the that the kitchen staff mm -hmm. was. I mean, I know. I guess. I guess I have a little less sympathy for all of them because it was the career that they chose and it was the sure. path that they chose and if i'm going to get this big of yeah. course there's going to be pressures i don't have to do it that way i did find a little bit of um uh, comfort in a very uh, on the nose scene of the way that anya taylor joy gets out of it is by saying i don't like the food i'd mm. like to have something else prepared please because she had seen while well, photograph yeah a photograph of his first job probably of being mm -hmm. a burger slinger at a diner yeah I'd like a cheeseburger now I was gonna ask you Harold you saw him make the cheeseburger yeah 
the ball of meat that you yeah. smash, smash onto through. the grill, putting onions on it before you turn it over. Were you pleased? Was this? Uh, yes, but the, the cheese was kind of burnt. The edges were kind of black, but yeah, the burger. Would you agree that American cheese is the best cheese to use because it melts uniformly? Uh, on the cheeseburger, American's pretty damn good. I gotta say, <laughs> that's the only place it belongs, pretty much. I was gonna say that might be the only, yeah, yeah the only the place only. it belongs. That's funny. Yeah, I would like to see the refrigerator of that place because why did that place have American cheese? Yeah, I that's know. true. They probably made it, you know, in some lavatory in the back or something. There, there, there you go. go. <laughs> yes, right. Well, he tells her they have everything, yeah. so yeah, that, that's uh, that's pretty amazing. But you're right; that is her out. Is is sort of like finally challenging him on this basic level, where I think, and and it sort of cuts to what is it that has driven him to this point? It's that he's gotten so disconnected yeah. from what he loved. It was like pleasing people, giving people something that they really enjoyed. And well, putting just as much love and care as he did on right. one of these sophisticated dishes into the simplest meal you can make. Right, right. Well, and and I think to, to me, what I took away is like, okay, being reminded of that, being shown like, okay, here in this simplicity, he's able to create something that really could satisfy her on some level that all of the courses up until then were unable to. Um, it. It's one of those moments where you know, you know, me as a as a film viewer, me as a food lover, me as a is sitting there thinking like, yeah, I mean, there are those times where you're just kind of reminded how great a simple dish can be, yeah, and you you wonder how much how much effort is it worth to do this kind of dining or this kind of cuisine that they're doing in those other courses where it's you know using the paco jet, using these yeah. other like really rarefied tools and ingredients to be able to put together these things that sometimes are hard to even identify as food when sure. you initially see them, right? Bread with dipping sauce, no bread. Yeah, yes. I mean, that that was just him, you know, throwing out the gauntlet and say, hey, I'm going to challenge you guys to, a, to an experience here. It was kind of bullshit because, you know, <laughs> bread, butter, oil, all the other shit, was just kind of, what is that green thing and the <laughs> foam? Yeah. Like, eh. That was kind of, yeah, you know wasn't great but i'll give a pass on that one well and i and i think it, it it's the the first like real statement dish where it's like yeah. i'm depriving you of the thing that would actually probably satisfy you right in, the, in this portion like i'm gonna give you everything but what you really want in this dish and uh yeah. and i guess he did find a lot of joy in kind of uh def defrocking the guys that work for the venture capitalist yeah who are like, dude? You're known for the Hawthorne's known for its bread. Let's get some bread. We get it. I get what you're trying to do here, but yeah. let's, let's get some of that bread. No, dude, uh, we're, we're gonna fucking we're gonna <laughs> fuck you up. We're gonna go to our boss and we're gonna tell them. Oh, you mean the one I'm about to drown? Yeah, speaking <laughs> of your boss, uh, I also didn't understand the um, even in the satire, the the theatrics of bringing in the fake Coast Guard guy, like. Yeah, that, well, that's I a think, movie twist. I mean, to me, he's just showing them that no matter what they do, they're they're doomed. There is yeah. no way out of this. Like yeah. He's saying, "Look, you think you're going to get away, but I control everything. I'm in charge. I'm right. the chef. What I say goes. So you're not going anywhere. You're going to die tonight with me, no matter what you think you're going to do. You're yeah. not going to get away." Yeah, that's what I took from that. Yeah, me too. I I think that's more for us as the audience to give us a moment of like, oh, are, are mm -hmm. they going to actually break away here? Is something going to happen? Oh no, no, this is just part of the thing. This is this is him tossing them a fake lifeline that uh, gets grabbed right back. Yeah, uh, you know, I I'm I I hear the criticism, Joe. I think that this is a 
for me, this was a really successful dark satire coming off the heels of another one. Now, I do, if I'm going to compare the two, which is hard not to, Triangle of Sadness to this, I do think I prefer Triangle of Sadness just a bit. I, 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 I think part of it is in the character development, even though those are archetypes, much in the same way many of these characters are in the menu. I think with the exception of maybe the Anya Taylor-Joy character, Margot slash Aaron, depending, you know, um, I don't think the characters in this film get that kind of development. I think it goes instead for the kind of elaborate staging. And various and, bunch of stereotyping. Yeah. yeah. And it's also a shorter film, so I think it, it, it moves along pretty, uh-huh. pretty quickly. Um, but I think both are really rich and, uh, and, and satisfying in their own ways, and, and I would highly recommend checking out the menu. I agree. Um, as a chef and as a cook for the last 25, 30 years, uh, for me, it's always fun to see what I do for a living on the big screen and captured pretty well. You know, I thought there was a lot of realism to what was happening on the screen. I appreciate them talking about issues in the kitchen with, you know, mental illness, substance abuse, um, sexual harassment. Yeah, These are all big issues yeah. we have in this business. So to see it up on the screen and kind of, you know, point of light, it's kind of, uh, it's kind of nice to see that. Yeah. So, you know, nothing really bad on my side. The food kind of tortilla was kind of a big problem for me. <laughs> that was a big no-no. But other than that, I enjoyed the movie. It was fun. I told my wife, my daughter, they both liked it as well. Too. Yeah, I think so. it's one of those movies that if you saw the trailer and think that you want to see it, you probably should go see yeah. it. I think you're going to enjoy yourself. Well, we all enjoyed the film on some level. Yes. Um, this beer from Jester King, mm-hmm. um, the Saison that they did in collaboration with Fantome, um, a, a very storied brewery, much like uh, you know the, the celebrity chefs we've been talking about, and like a Julian Slowick character here. Yeah. Um, you know, the, these are luminaries in the world of beer, especially uh, you know c- certain beer. Um, what, what did you guys think about this concoction that was brought to our palates this evening? I believe it was the last time we had Jester King, where it was the first or second time that we tried one of their non-farmhouse ale That's right. varieties. So here we are back to the basics with them. That farmhouse ale base, but magic yeah. that they're adding to. Whatever you tasted the first time you had this, Carl... I almost called you Carlos. <laughs> <laughs> the, the third yeah. seat has a certain yeah. feel. Harold. Yeah. Um, where you said it was young and not fully fleshed out. I did not catch this. There's, no. This is a lot of subtle yeah. flavors, and when you close your eyes and squint mm-hmm. and pucker up, you are tasting yeah. cardamom and black pepper mm-hmm. and truffle honey. I'm a little lost on the truffle. But I didn't get any truffle either. When I was young, you could smell it on the nose. Oh, really? You could, yeah, for sure. Well, I would say yes. That that has faded, but it has all the complexity that a Jester yeah. King yes. usually does. Mm-hmm. Um, and at $1,250 a bottle, Harold, we really appreciate <laughs> you bringing this tonight. I didn't realize this was 8.8%. Wow. Yeah, I asked, yeah, we didn't say that up top. It, it's not drinking 18.8 to me no. at all. No. I mean, it just it has a great great body. It's not super, super effervescent. It's kind of just kind of mild right now in the mm-hmm. carbonation, but... That might be the age. 18 eight's the highest ABV we've no, ever drank. 8.8. Oh, I thought you said 18.8. Eight. <laughs> no. I, like, I, I heard have, you say that. I'm like, no, 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 no. They have massed the alcohol <laughs> in this thing. No, but 8.8 8. 8. 8. 8 makes a lot high. more sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I, I mean, I, lo- I love Jester King. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a fanboy. I'm sorry. I'm going to be the guy Nobody who yeah. shows up at Jester King and wants to buy their bottles sure. whenever yeah. I'm around. Um, and, and to me, that you can have a bottle like this that's been, you know, Sitting in storage, uh, Harold. Thank you very much. Of course, for almost seven years at this yeah. point, 
um, to be drinking this well and tasting this good, th that's just, I mean, th to me, these guys, um, th they are really at the top of the game in terms of putting together really amazing, not hit you over the head, not like throw as many marshmallows into the mix as you possibly can, but doing these, uh, you know, b beautiful kind of subtle flavor. And as you've just no noted, also kind of, um, I don't know, how do you describe they're, they're bringing the green bottles? Into so, I mean, a lot of that was um, an off flavor, right? So light struck beers, right. when they sit out on the shelf, you know, you think of like a Heineken you have when you're younger or you know, Pilsner Arkell, they were like yeah. skunk. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's an aroma, it's a flavor. And uh, it kind of disappeared because people started putting beer in cans right. and started using darker bottles. And they realized that they were losing some. There was certain flavor compounds created with that light strike on the beer that they, they lost. So brewers, a lot of brewers in Belgium still use green glass. Yeah. So Jester King started bringing back green glass. So they'll, they'll sell like a Petit Prince in a, yes. in, a, in a regular glass and in a green glass too. Right. So they're and you're going to have two different experiences. Exactly. Yeah. Different flavors, different mm -hmm. aromas. Yeah. So this one here I noticed is in a green bottle. So Yeah. it's And they're, they're definitely, I mean, that doing this collaboration with Fantome is absolutely perfect because it is the Belgian brewing yeah. tradition that they're really building. Yeah, farmhouse, yeah. mixed culture. That's yeah. that's what they're about, and that's what he's about. You know, right. And then the ingredients, using different ingredients like that truffle honey. Yeah. Um, he had a problem around this. When this bottle came out, uh, he was having a lot of problems, lots, a lot of sick bottles. Yeah, uh, a lot of bottles were pouring like shampoo, <laughs> like stinky. Yeah, <laughs> I never and, got one of those. And like there was bottles that smelled like burnt tires. Oof. And then there was this whole thing online. Like Danny has really bad English, so you would talk to you know like a beer advocate, like oh machine burnt, broken, like what? And it was like, <laughs> I guess he had a problem with brew house trying to fix things. It was uh, kind of interesting, but I guess he's finally got stuff to get his his beer is back on point again after uh, so many. But it was about a good two years where it was like. Not good. How, oh. how readily available is the Phantom? Uh, I, I believe brewery. Phantom is not distributed in Texas, but I haven't seen the bottles here yeah. on shelves. Yeah, but it is in Texas now. Okay, because yeah. that, that might be a nice uh, comeback around, and yeah. I know we haven't done them. Yeah, if you yeah. can get like just their, their basic saison is really good. Yeah. Phantom saison is great. Very Delicious good. beer. Well, thank you for bringing that, Harold. My it pleasure. It was great, and thank you for bringing all your knowledge uh, of the kitchen and 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 cuisine and all that um, to to our discussion of the menu. I'm hoping that you're going to bring some of that to the discussion of our second film Absolutely. because we decided to stay in the kitchen, folks. Uh, for uh, I don't know, yeah. I don't even know how to accurately uh, segue into this. <laughs> I, I'm just going to ask. I hope I'm going to. The first question that's going to be: How did your 12 year old daughter like this one? When we come back. <laughs> was a true true announcement of a return from the break uh thank you harold that you was got it. my I, pleasure I, I think you outdid carlos <laughs> i am super I, excited you hear that carlos i'm super <laughs> excited to talk about this movie yeah. i am super excited to get a second so beer much. in our glass harold it's always a pleasure when you're here Likewise. because you bring the good shit <laughs> so to tie in with this film uh which we'll talk about in a second yeah this is escoffier who is the chef of chefs the chef that created the brigade system, uh, created codified cuisine 
modernized French cuisine. And uh, the beer is a collaboration actually with uh, Brewery Vivant out of Michigan oh, yeah. and uh, New Belgium. Oh, nice. So it is a mixed culture farmhouse ale. Cheers. Two. Thank you. Very cool. Why do I yeah. get to pour first? But I will. Well, entirely appropriate, like you said, uh, Harold, because we, we are staying in the kitchen for the second half. And in we fact, um, going to a film set in a restaurant that's even more kind of closer to the, uh, I guess, the modern French uh, tradition of, uh, you know, cuisine, where um, what we're talking about is the cook, the thief, his wife, and her lover. Uh, the Peter Greenaway film, the infamous Peter Greenaway film from, uh, was it 1989? Uh, it was released in America in 1990, and I know okay. that because I was a high school senior. Oh. And I went, and it was, of course, rated X famously. Mm -hmm. And I went to go see it. But if it was released in April, I would have been just a few months shy of 18. I don't remember how I got in. But I remember this movie making a lasting impression on me. I was deep into trying to learn as much film as I could. And everything about this movie to an 18-year-old who had seen Clockwork Orange and you know yeah. other films that are these... Um, challenging. Yeah. Uh, mature themes. Was very challenging. Yeah. So I'm going to do my best to tell you a little bit about it. Okay. There is a cook, meaning that it is set, as you say, in a restaurant. The thief has kind of, I guess, taken over the restaurant, yeah. meaning that the cook is still preparing beautiful food, but the thief is there probably bankrolling it or maybe um, extorting from it, a la Goodfellas, I remember, you know, when they would buy a company and then just gut it. And he brings every night his group of idiot, like henchmen <laughs> criminals, yeah. and his, his wife, the wife, played by Helen Mirren, I should say that the cook is played by uh, Michael. I'm sorry. The cook is played by Richard Boringer. The thief is played by Michael Gambone, aka Dumbledore Two, the second uh, <laughs> gentleman that played Dumbledore in the Harry Potter series. Alan Howard plays the lover. Um, while the thief is acting like a fucking prick all of the time, <laughs> the the quiet, demure wife just sits there and tolerates it. Georgie. Yeah, he. Lambasts her, he bad mouths her, he's, she's the butt of the joke often, but she catches the eye of a gentleman who's reading alone, who becomes her lover, literally in the restaurant under the nose of everybody until they are discovered and until, uh, well, we can kind of go from there. The uh, I remember famously the costumes are Jean-Paul Gaultier, Jean Gaultier. Uh, and I remember this and I love seeing it again. Different rooms have different color schemes, including if I'm wearing red in the dining room and go into the restroom, my clothes are the same, but now they are white and all of the interior of the, um, the restroom, restroom yeah. is white. The kitchen is green, green, green I believe, mostly, yeah. and kind of you go and from the there. the parking lot or the just outside is blue. So yeah, um, blue. Uh, it is rated X for nudity and cannibalism, which we'll get to, <laughs> violence and uh, sexuality. And imagine me at 18 watching this thing with these color-changing outfits and, oh my God, there's this thing called art cinema and I'm just getting started. And I watched it for the second time in prepare, preparing for tonight. And I was very excited to do so. Well, and, and if this was your idea of like what an art... All art cinema was gonna be, how how uh, 
Well, I just remember how the, sad you must have been. I remember. <laughs> the, the, I mean, because this this is a very elaborate, yeah. uh, very stylized approach to filmmaking that yeah. we're seeing here. I'll quit talking, but I do want to talk about the X rating before we get done. Okay. Yeah. Um, you, you know, the, it, it's interesting here you talk about that. I'm sure, Joe, this was probably a fairly limited release as it was being sort of spread out. So I, I bet, like, you, you maybe got to your birthday by the time that it was actually playing in, Could have been. in the market here. Um, and I didn't, you know, I'm a little younger, so I did not get to see this when it was out originally. But I do remember reading the review in the newspaper and being very intrigued sure. by the idea of, like, what is this film exactly? How is it? Um but when I did eventually get around to seeing it, when I was in college and I started getting obsessive about films and taking film classes and, you know, uh, trying to see everything that I possibly could, I remember, you know, this title. I, it, it sort of, it, as, as soon as I sort of came upon it again, I realized, oh, yeah, I remember this film that that critic was just gushing about and saying how great it was. Uh, and, I, and I remember sitting down one night and watching it on VHS and just not knowing how to make sense of it at the yeah. time. But eventually, I think, especially through the Gambon performance as the thief, like just giving over to it. He is such a commanding presence. And, and for good reason, right? I mean, this is the whole idea is the thief has kind of taken over this space and he's claimed it as his own and he's sort of, you know, running it as a tyrant and, you know, like, pulling tablecloths out from diners sure. to disrupt their meals, move them around. Oh, right. we're going to have entertainment now. This table's got to move. Oh, well, you want to finish your meal? We're going to cram it down your throat. <clears> until, <throat> right. You know, um, th this really like excessive, aggressive performance on the part of Gambon that's just as terrifying yeah. as, as just about any performances you're going to see. I don't think I appreciated the subtleties of the lover and the wife. As, as much as I do now watching it. Sure. Uh, his barbaric performance overshadows everybody. It does. He's like, he chooses the scenery of the entire movie. It's oh, like, God. it's his movie. Basically. It's a powerhouse performance. Yeah, he just does not stop. It's this relentless, barbaric, disgusting, vile yeah. human I didn't do the that research. you just hate to watch. I didn't do the research to see if that was improvised or all on the page. Because I don't, I don't it think is nonstop speaking. Nonstop, yeah. 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 No, I, I, I mean, it, it's... It's it's a preferred performance. There's so much there just to take in with him, but I think, like I said, watching it now. I mean, I, I watched it a couple times after that, and I think it's more of it sunk in. But it had been at least a decade since I yeah, had sat down and watched. Yeah, twenty years. It's my second time to see it after an eighteen-year-old. And going back to it, it's funny how much that the aggression, the violence sort of overshadowed the sexuality to me. Like, yeah. I, this is a fairly graphic film. Oh, I mean, yeah. You, you, Joe, you talked about having the X rating. And, yeah. You know, big, yes, it does have cannibalism. It does have, um, you know, somebody being humiliated by having feces fed to them and <laughs> smeared about them. Well, we're living in the age of showing penis on screen, like on streaming service shows and yeah. stuff, you know. I mean, like, now that's becoming very common to see sure. more common yeah but back then i i they were just walking around nude yeah yeah and that was amazing to me as an 18 yeah. year old i didn't know who helen mirren was at the time right yeah but um it's interesting to see her in this role and, but, and i know she had been in caligula i think already and had already established herself as someone that's not afraid to be nude on on camera but 
this, I mean, what had I seen prior to that was like a Hard Bodies or a Porky's Late yeah. Night on HBO. <laughs> yeah. And it's a completely different, different tone, different tone and presentation yeah. of sexuality yeah. and nudity. This was more kind of like the body is a form and this yeah, is our like form. They were like Rubenesque. It was like this. Correct. Art, it's art. It's not, it wasn't titillating, basically. It's more to see you're observing these lovers in, in their natural state. Yeah. You know? And it, it wasn't like. Uh, Trying to get you turned on is more just showing that there's this passion in between these two people, and they're just nude a lot. It's it's okay. Yeah, yeah. It, well, you, you're right. I mean, there is something very ordinary about it, even though it is extraordinary. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, you know, Joe, as you were giving the synopsis there, like most of the affair takes place in the restaurant. Yeah, various yeah. The bathroom is is sort of the it's initial meeting off. space. Um, but soon they're hiding out in bread room, butcher shop, fin and fowl. Yeah. Yeah. With the the cook as their kind of a, not accomplice, but, um, yeah, I guess so. Technically. Well, the whole staff basically allowed them to have, because everyone hated collectively the covering up for them. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, they're exactly, I mean, I I think, you know, (laughs) we talked about like, could we, sort of determine the motivations in the menu and whether or not we'd like the motivation makes sense here like as 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 strange and stylized a film as this is given the way that the thief behaves given what he's done to upend this restaurant and and turn it into his sort of personal uh you know you know dining room or whatever um it, it makes sense that they would be willing to help out his wife because as he lambasts his underlings for being uncouth and unrefined while <laughs> demonstrating at all yeah. times that just because you can and not even always pronounce the names of the dishes correctly but afford them does not make you couth or refined right yeah. right and he even gives the you know he he critiques the lover for reading at the table, yeah. right? Like yeah. you're you're here to eat. It's you're not you're a doing a dis- disservice to the the chef here because you're you know <laughs> being distracted by these yeah. books while I'm also you know tearing the restaurant apart and you know terrorizing everybody. Yeah, it's an interesting twist where uh, at the very beginning of the film, two uh, just again Goodfellas reminds me of Goodfellas. The gangster, the thief, steals acquires two truckloads of. Fantastic yep. raw material for cooking. Yeah, meat, fish, fish and um, fish and meat, fish, yeah. vegetables, all of it. And they're, um, but the cook in a moment of of uh, defiance, a little bit defiance, certainly, but just um, being above that. I'm not going to serve stolen goods. Mm-hmm. I want everything to be honest and pure. Those sit there in the back the entire and time. just rot and yeah. rot and rot. Now you don't give that much thought yeah. until they become the escape route. <laughs> Mm-hmm. For the nude lover and wife, when it's all been when it's been discovered, yeah. we can get you out. Get into the back of this truck, and she sees the rotting ham and mm-hmm. you know, pork, all of it. And no, I can't get in there. I remember that scene so vividly as a, as a younger man of the the swaying of the meat into them. There was no escape yeah. from rot and filth getting all over oh, their yeah. bodies. Oh, yeah, close-ups of the maggots before they even, like, entered yeah. the space. It's Yeah, I mean... Right, and it made such an impression on me. That whole and, scene is also, like, kind of biblical. It's like, a, you know, they're, they're in this Garden of Eden where they're making love in this beautiful mm. green-colored kitchen, and then they're cast out into yes. this abyss of, like, yeah. decaying meat. It's like paradise lost. It's kind of... This guy is just so good with the way he paints his pictures, you know, yeah. with, with the with the camera moving louder back and forth. Like you're in, like you're in a gallery watching a 
a painting go across yeah. the screen. Yes. And, it, you know, it was just, man, it's a remarkable movie I mean, it's watch. a very, yeah, you, you're, I, I like that you bring up the painterly thing because that's definitely here. And I think Greenaway was a yeah. painter. Before, and, yes. He right, was before a he was ever student. directing films. Um, clearly has an interest in sort of that, that kind of composition with his shots. I mean, we've already talked about the colors that sort the of dominate colors, yeah. and, and, uh, and define these spaces. But also, you know, the dining room itself, there's that huge blown up version of uh, that's what's the, the painting? Uh, it's the painting from Franz, Franz Halls. Okay. It's, uh, that's basically that episode. That's the whole movie is basically um, what he got that idea from as far as the palette and the colors and everything yeah. else. Their outfits, what they wear. Yeah. All from that painting. It's pretty remarkable. Yeah. So, I mean, it, and definitely um, that comes through the scale of this, Huge. It, there's something very theatrical about it, right? I mean, like these sets that we're moving through, like the yeah. kitchen is this cavernous, yeah. gigantic, <clears throat> the scale is all weird. Like there's certain things that like stoves that are roughly human size. And then there are other things that are just hanging there that are just way too large. Yeah. And, and you know, this kind of exaggerated thing. The, the fact <laughs> this gets away from the scale, but the the uh, shirtless chef. The shirtless. Who... <laughs> I call him. He's the, the shirtless saucier. That's who he is. Okay. That's the name I, I gave him. Is that is that a thing in kitchens? <laughs> I assure you, we wear shirts in the kitchen at all times. <laughs> I just love how that goes we, by. We do. We, we do. Yeah. Good. But yeah, the whole kitchen, just the way it was the presented, like it's like three stories high. Yeah. yeah. The lighting in there too is like it's bizarre, like stage lighting. You're yeah. constantly seeing the lights coming in and out, the flashing of the lights, and the kind of tones change depending yeah. on what the mood is. Yeah. And. uh the kitchen is very frantic, you yes. know, sometimes, and they're like peeling feathers from this, and chopping <laughs> right, this. Right. And feathers like literally just like drifting yeah. in the air. It's like, I don't think you do that in the, in the professional yeah. kitchen. No, no, no. You, 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 have you room don't want for feathers that. in no. your sauce. You don't want, no, no. Definitely not. So when the thief finds out about the lover and they flee via yeah. the rotten van, um, they end up at his, where he works, uh, at a book, book depository. Uh, yeah. yeah, like a book storage facility that's why he's been reading all along he's a lover of the printed word and of course the thief is not going to have any of it he is going to get his revenge and while the cook and the soprano singing young boy that you also need to have in a, in a kitchen every kitchen has one sure <laughs> I, have, I have two actually okay <laughs> They they harmonize. Oh yeah, you, you like, insisted it's, when you were. It's, it's like the Beach Boys. It's awesome. I love it. It's two different ever. two different ages, so that when yeah. one's voice turns, I, you I can just boot the tenor, you, soprano, right. all that. Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, they they kill the the lover as yeah. you expect him to do, and she has the grand idea of cooking him and serving him to the thief. And she's got a willing party of participants that want to help get yeah. some revenge on him. And an, a line is uttered. I'm going to utter it now, if you don't mind. Uh, the the cook cooks the, the man uh, without like dissecting him. It's yeah, just like roasted the full, nice. full body. It's like a pig, like a roasted nude. Uh, he's presented, and she says to her husband, "Try the cock. It's a delicacy, and you know where it's being now." <laughs> That line, Sean, my buddy that, that did the show with us with uh, Weird and 24-Hour Party People just a couple mm -hmm. weeks yeah. ago. We saw that movie together. And that line has been in our vernacular <laughs> try the forever. Yeah. yeah. yeah For sure. as long as I've been yeah. a graduate from high school. So um, when I let him know that we were going to do this film, he said, 
try the cock. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's just a knee jerk reaction. Yeah. What a fantastic line though. Uh, oh yeah, it's the punch in the face at the very end because you know where it's been, and it's um. I loved seeing this movie again. It's a difficult movie to recommend only because you have to be a certain type of movie lover yeah. and goer to enjoy as much as being put on the screen here. It's 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 multi-layered and complicated and and for that I love it. I mean it's a feast for the eyes. It's an, it's atrocious, but it's also beautiful. It's gaudy. Uh, it's colorful. It's well acted, you know, and and it's a great revenge story. Yeah, you know, that's that's kind of heart of the story is revenge, and, and she makes him eat his words right in the end, basically. He says, "I would eat him. Yeah, I'm gonna eat him." And sure enough, he, <laughs> he gets to eat him. That's <laughs> right. The, I mean, it's 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 amazing, you know. That we we talked about with the menu that you know that that so much of it is satire. And that that it expands beyond just the realm of cuisine into other things. Like you know, I, I see it as a metaphor for all creation and like it, it, all creatives and making things and how they're appreciated and whether. And I think this film is doing something very similar, um, where yes, it's about food and yes, it's about eating, um, it, but it's about consuming. It's about you know what we do with those things that we consume. I mean, um, Albert, right? Spica, the the thief here is. You know, he's obsessed with feeding not just himself but those around him yeah. and force feeding them. Right? I already talked about him force feeding the diner and the restaurant when he when the tables. You know, he he won't move his table. Feeding the guy shit. Feeding, feeding him books. Shit, feeding you know. the the pages yeah. of, of the book. Feeding um, buttons to the boy. To the right? boy, yeah. He it's this sort of control that he's exerting. Huh. Like he gets to. Force you to get his rocks up on it, right? Yeah. To to take but, in, but these if things. I if I make you put things inside of you, I'm leaving a lasting impression, a more lasting impression, right? It's not just the torture now, yeah, but the buttons that I make you eat, little boy, you're gonna have those inside of you for a little while. I'm right. I'm, I'm sticking around. Yes, yeah, it's gonna become part of you. Sure. Like I'm I'm you know, so it's it's interesting because I've seen very few films that really. I mean, I think of. Uh, Am I going to get the title right? Raw? The, the, is that the DeKernel film? Uh -huh. yes, yes. Like, um, w Which is about cannibalism, right? And we're, and we're getting ready for Bones and All. What, look at how all these films tie together. You know? <laughs> you know, like, um, but, you, you know, like the, there's clearly precedence and there are other cases of film kind of investigating this in ways. But this, to me, still stands out as one of the most um, vivid, you know, yeah. depictions of what it is that we do to stay alive and sustain ourselves these things that we take in and what they do to us and again food is a huge part of that but it's also you know it's literature it's um you know the the, the talk uh, you know it's music it's all these different things mm -hmm. that come up and that constitute culture and what, and what surrounds us and then what we make of those things once they come into us right and here Spica is supposedly you know he wants to be known as this appreciator of great food, yeah he wants right? to be seen as a sophisticate absolutely um you know he's chosen one would assume like a one of the great restaurants in london uh to to take over here and 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 to to sort of rule over um in part because he wants to show himself as being cultured and being learned and, and understanding all these things um but just by taking them in, and that that doesn't mean that he actually understands them that he actually oh, embraces he doesn't them. at all he's, he's a beast right um, whereas those people around him who maybe do appreciate them, he can't 
understand that, right? Mm -hmm. He doesn't understand the lover because the lover's too, you know, like what do books have that could offer? That's not a form of culture that he understands. He, he doesn't have any interest in that. Um, you know, the, the big rift with, uh, with, um, with Georgina, Georgie, you know, is that, you know, they, they have this marriage, but it's largely a loveless marriage. And when she goes into talking about it, like he really doesn't seem to have any interest in consuming her, so, so to speak, other than to have her as a thing that other people associate him with. She's a trophy wife. Yeah. And to right? abuse behind closed doors. To door. abuse, yeah, for sure. But it seems like out of maybe self-hatred. I don't, I don't know, but I hear what you're saying, yes. I mean, she, she's been tortured by him throughout their relationship, yeah. but it, it seems to have much less to do with him actually caring anything about her and just an externalization about how he probably feels about himself. It's and, another thing you know, to have. Yeah, um, and, and, and that's his relationship with everybody. You know what I mean? He, he has an idea of what he's doing for these people or what he's getting from these people, but really it's all about him. Which he, is, he you know, have... which is the chef from the menus. One of his largest complaints of the diners is it's not just a thing for you to have. You've lost all connection to it. Right. But, but I think Speaker um, did have a little bit of something in him because when they mentioned the kids – they can't have kids. Yes. He does for a minute kind of break character. It's true. And, You're right. But then he turns it back right away. So I think maybe resentment towards her a little bit. The yeah. abuse he gives her is saying, you know, you can't give me kids. Yeah. I'm going to abuse you even more. I'm going to put more, more, more pain on you and less pleasure. Yeah. Um, yeah. But we need to just mention a pre-Reservoir Dogs, Tim Roth. Yeah. Yeah. Was that his first role? I think it's early. Yeah. But yeah. I think he had at least done some television stuff before that. Yeah, you had. He also had a young uh, Kieran Hines. He's in there too. That's he plays, right. Uh, Corey. He looks like a. Okay. He looks yeah. like a young uh, Nick Cage in that show. Yeah. And then uh, uh, Ian Dury. Ian Dury. So I'm as Terry, the yeah. other gangster. Yeah. Yeah. No, th there's some interesting, uh, interesting British uh, screen talent and and just you know talent in general that that show up in this one. Um, yeah, it was a landmark film for a lot of reasons. I mean, I think because of the some of these incendiary you know, topics that cannibalism, the sexuality. I just remember wanting to see it more than anything because it was rated X and I, I, I just didn't remember. <laughs> well, yeah, I, mean, yeah. I just didn't remember anything like that coming through town. Like it, I, there was this big media news cycle sure. about this X. Yeah. And um, this was before, I think it was one of the movies, I, I'm making this up maybe, but that solidified the idea that the NC-17 was a kiss of death. Sure. That uh, because many theater uh, exhibitors will not show an NC-17 movie, but they did show the X-rated movie, which prior to that had been just um, associated with uh, pornography, uh, uh, deep throat, you know, rated X, you yeah. know, because of sexuality. So when I went in to see this rated X movie, it, 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 it blew my mind because it wasn't about that. Yeah, It was about adult themes that kind of ran the gamut right this isn't about titillating right this no. isn't this isn't a film that's you, you know joe you you talked about like porkies or whatever you know like th those are films to titillate right they're using um they're using nudity they're using human sexuality to sort of poke at you in the way that you you know an adolescent boy wants sure to be, you know what i mean like and and there's a time and place for that i'm not saying that 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 has but Greenaway isn't doing that here, no. right? Greenaway mm -hmm. is using these kind of, you know, sex, eating, you know, the, the violence, could, could violence to, to sort of put, you know, these kind of 
human conditions on display and the, and the way that we relate to one another and what it is that sort of the, the power that certain people hold over other people, right? I mean, here, the thief, for most of the running time in this film, because he is so violently aggressive, because he is willing to break all of these taboos around how you should treat others and, and the way to conduct yourself, he's able to rule that space of, of the restaurant where most of the film takes place. Uh, but ultimately, that's undone because finally, he you know, he pushes Georgina, you know, the Helen Mirren character <clears throat> so far that she's, you know, that, that she's willing to, to undo those things and break her own taboos yeah. to, to undo his. Why do you think it's so hard to find? Uh, it's not on any streaming services. I, I think it's on BritBox is where I okay. saw yes, that. I, yes. I actually just got a pirated copy, so sorry. <laughs> yeah, uh, I know that sorry, if, you, uh, if you Google the title, <laughs> you can find it online yeah, in, in, it in a way that I'll let yeah. you wrestle with. It's but. tough. So worth bringing up, Harold actually mentioned this um, before we started recording. There is an edited version yes. that exists out there that got an R rating that they put out on home video, mm -hmm. and that exists, I think, at, le at least on VHS. It's missing like 20 minutes, I imagine. It's a like pretty that. shortened version yeah. that, like, yeah, 20 to 30 minutes are, are cut out of it. I've never seen that version. I have a DVD copy that was put out in the late 90s. The transfer actually is pretty terrible, though. Is that oh, rewatch? It had been, like I said, a decade like since a pan I watched scan it. Or something? No, it's it's widescreen, but it's just the quality yeah. of it. You can mm. tell it's like sort of pixelated, fuzzy, mm. and it, it 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 is. I have other DVDs of that same era that I can They'll play. Look better. That on my whatever sixty-inch screen TV look pretty decent. This one on that sixty-inch screen, actually, I started to see some of that kind of degradation. Mm. It, it just didn't look. And I, I was looking to see, okay, is there a Blu-ray? And there are Blu-ray copies out there, but a lot of people who are, you know... Charging your premium, I bet, I imagine. <laughs> right, and, and most of them aren't um, playable in the States. They're, oh, they're not they're, region they're PAL, one or whatever. Yeah. Yep. Um, so that, you know, it's a hard film to track down, Joe. Is it? You're right. I do think there is a streaming version through Amazon, I think has this BritBox, BritBox service yep. subscription that you can do. Um, so and I haven't looked at that version, so maybe that is a nicer mm. transfer. But it sounds like even some of the recent Blu-ray versions that have come out in Europe haven't done much to improve on it. So I, I feel like, especially given how visually sumptuous yeah. this film is, it really deserves that kind of sure. special treatment. Yeah. Where you would think like a Criterion or some label would want to take yeah, this. Yeah, I'm and surprised really it isn't on that nice streaming service it. too. It should, yeah. it should be on there. But. almost makes me wonder if Greenaway is maybe a little prickly to work with. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't want to put that on him, but I mean, just given what I know of him as a filmmaker, I imagine him being very, um, very specific in what his, uh, what his expectations would be. Let's yeah, that great way. movie. Uh, a little trivia about the, about the movie too. I was looking yeah. up the, the food, you know, because the food is, is a showcase of the movie. You see these beautiful displays of like Finn and Fowl, these motifs throughout the whole yeah. show with these ornate, huge displays of like, you know, f uh, game with yeah. still with the hair and the hose on them. Yeah. And uh, there was a chef that they, they contracted for his name is, uh, uh, what's his name? Giorgio Locatelli. Okay. And he is actually a uh, Michelin starred chef from Italy that works in, in London. And Tying into the beer again, he actually came up at the Savoy in London. Oh, so oh, shit. bitch. Oh, boy. <laughs> Just spilled the best okay. beer. Maybe we're going to pause for a second anyway. Let me get that cleaned up and the dog and you remember where you were. What's Sorry. Joe, Joe's had too many or you got to cut him off? I don't know. 
<laughs> Sometimes I get it too because it's it, it happens. No, it that's okay. Don't worry about it. I hate that shit. Is this the right battery? You can yeah, spill that one. It's the cum rag, dude. What are you doing? <laughs> That's the wrong one. That's the wrong one. That's the wrong one, dude. That's you know, it's, it's, it's code yellow yeah. to tell you. You know, it's, it's the hanky, All right. the hanky code. You were, you were giving us an anecdote oh, on uh, Locatelli. Yeah, Locatelli. Yeah, okay. I don't want to start so, over. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, so a little little fact about the about the food in the movie is. Uh, right, go back. I'll probably go back. That's, That's good. good. A little okay. fact about food in the movie. Oh uh, yeah. So uh, George Giorgio Locatelli is a chef in based in London. He's Italian. And uh, tying into the beer we're drinking right now, this coffee beer, uh, he worked in the kitchens of the Savoy Hotel, which is where Escoffier became famous and known for creating the brigade system in that hotel. So mm. kind, of, kind of a cool little... You said brigade the bri- system? Yeah, the brigade system is something that um, you will see in kitchens of a higher caliber to where that's where you have the executive chef, chef de cuisine, uh-huh. your sous chefs, you have your chef de parties. So it created, created the, the the hierarchy of the, the kitchen and that's organization what, system, and that's what Escoffier did. Yeah, that's part of his uh, his, his uh, legend is that creating the brigade system is called. That's awesome. Yeah, that is a great tie-in and brings us back to the beer, where um, you know I th- I, th- I think uh, what you've done here in the second half, uh, Harold, is uh, bring us yet another very complex. And delicious uh, beer to drink. I, you know, brewery brewery vivant. I don't know if we've had them on the show. I believe before. that's from 2017. Yeah, bottle it, two. It looks like August 2017. Perfect. So another another aged bottle that has definitely lived uh, a good life in the bottle and and is coming to us, I think, in really great shape. This one has a sort of darker base, yes, right? Yep. Um, you know, th- there's definitely. I don't know if it's like a roasted malt in there. There is some like, like that kind of like plum kind of figgy yeah. kind of base, a little caramel malt. I think yes, for sure. absolutely. I'm I feel getting, like coming uh, through. Um, I I dig it. I mean, it's it's a little less um, it's a little less barnyardy than yeah. than your Jester King, which you know again, it's not that one is better than the other. It's just this one to me though um, has a little more acidity, a little brighter, but also kind of has that darker base i, I kind of like what it's doing there it, yeah. it pulls me in two different directions and i kind of like that i get a little oxidation but i think it kind of enhances the flavor a little bit just a touch that's kind of kind of like sherry yeah. notes you get yeah kind of touch but not too bad i mean where i i feel like w- when when it gets to the point where it starts to be like a little more papery cardboardy that's, problem, that's where yeah. it kind of gets to be a problem but you're right i think there is kind of like just a slight hint of it just a little bit that uh, that doesn't really do it uh, a disservice. I think it's it's pretty nice. Episode one thirty two. We had the brewery Vivant Paris Plain de Vie. Okay, series. this is from the same series, actually. Yeah, really. P- uh, Plain de Vie. That oh, was during our Bammy's two thousand and twenty. We drink some good beer on the show. We drink the best <laughs> beer available in the town that we live show. in on a very consistent basis. Oh. Uh, I, I like this very, very much, too. I'm going to prefer the Jester King to this if I had to make a choice. Uh, I agree. This is deeper. It's richer. It's a little bit more yeah. complex. But that doesn't always make it a better beer. No. Uh, but there's plenty to discover and and roll around with this beer. I enjoyed it very much. And, Harold, the first question I'm going to ask you on After Hours is, um, is it painful to open these that have been sitting in a cellar for so long? Absolutely not. That's what they're for. Happy, happy to do it. I, I, and I and I think 
I, I get exactly where you're coming from. There, there was a moment, we, we can talk more on After Hours. There was a moment where I did used to have this kind of like, ooh, am I ready to open that? Yeah. And, <laughs> it's going to be gone then, forever. Yeah. But then I quickly realized, oh, unless I do, then what happens to it? Mm -hmm. I mean, there, what's the point? So there is, it's kind of like a joy. Yeah, these thing. beers, these beers do have a, a best buy date usually. Yeah. So you may miss that mark and you may get something that's not very good. So I've definitely had some that have gone. Oh past. yeah, for yeah. sure. But, but neither of these. The best thing about Baron movie is that the conversation does not end here. You can find us on all the social media that you love and enjoy on a daily basis. For now, you can hear us on Twitter. I mean, for now, you can. You can find us on Twitter. <laughs> you may not be able to. Maybe we should deactivate it. We'll, we'll I talk about deactivate that. my Twitter. Yeah. Bye-bye. Yeah. Bye but Twitter. in addition to Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, you can join us on our chat at Discord. Harold, we see you there from Absolutely. time to time. Absolutely. I'll be chiming in very soon. Look for Beer and the Movie. The conversation continues. And um, we've talked about After Hours a couple times. We are going to continue talking and you can hear that conversation at our Patreon subscriber-only After Hours. It's very inexpensive, but it's a lot of fun, these After Hours conversations. What is it, Twelve fifty, twelve fifty a month? No. <laughs> <laughs> crazy. Jeez, per diner. You guys per, are like, per yeah. Listener. Yes, per and listener. if you do come, I promise we will never kill you. Okay, good. <laughs> but and also, it's not just listening. It's not just listening to the podcast. It's also taking a second, wherever you are, and giving us a nice high five star, whatever the equivalent is, where you listen rating, it helps us. It helps us get it out there to more people. It do what it do. I just gotta say that every week. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you have just experienced another sumptuous new episode of Beer in a Movie. Until next time, what happens inside this room is meaningless compared to what happens outside. We are but a frightened nanosecond. Nature is timeless. <laughs>